Well, there's no arguing that there are divisions in our lives, be it political, religious, racial, or otherwise. We face divisions every single day. Well, today, Chris Dew talks about three classic enemies of our soul that James says in chapter 4 are the reasons conflict is occurring. And it's these three enemies that Chris Dew is going to address today. Let's take a listen. What's up, church family? How's everybody doing this morning? Everybody good? Come on, man. Well, uh, I'm happy to be here this morning. Uh, If I haven't had the opportunity to meet you yet, I'm Chris, um, and I'm on the... uh, teaching team here and absolutely love this church and love you guys so much. I see some people waving hello. Uh, But if you would, uh, let's pray together real quick and then let's jump into the scripture. Heavenly Father, we are here to hear from you this morning. It's the whole reason we came. All the music is good, and, and all the friends are good, and the, the, the scripture and this word I hope is good, but really we want to interact with you this morning. We want to hear from you, God, and you just ask right now that you would speak to us, that you would change us from the inside out, and uh, that we would leave here uh, changed and, and, and uh, as a new person. I pray that for all the people here who have struggles going on, which is all of us, that you would speak into those spaces and places in our heart and uh, that you would uh, bring healing and encouragement and a lot of comfort. Speak through your word this morning. We love you and we pray this all in your powerful name, Jesus. Amen. Men. How many people have ever had any conflict in your home or in your marriage or in your family before? Anybody had any conflict? All right, if you don't have your hand up, you're a liar. I'm glad you're at church this morning because you can repent and believe in Jesus. He offers forgiveness. All of us have had conflict before in our homes, with our kids, with our spouses, in church even. Uh, But I remember uh, that when I met my wife's uh, family for the first time, it was Thanksgiving. And I love Thanksgiving for a lot of reasons, the people and, and eating and all those things, but there's one thing that is the greatest part about Thanksgiving in the whole thing. You know what it is? The mac and cheese. It's the reason we do Thanksgiving. I don't know if you knew that, but that, that's the whole reason. Like the ham is good and the turkey is good, but really it's about the mac and cheese. And I'm hanging out with her family and, and we're having a good time. I'm really like anxious and uncomfortable with all of them because I'm trying to put on a happy face and kind of like, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm cool. And then it's time to eat. And I'm so excited because all day I've been looking forward to the mac and cheese. And so it's time to eat, and I'm, I'm, I'm just kind of going through the line, and there, there, there's ham. I'm like, okay, well done. There's sweet potato with that sweet stuff on top. Like, I don't know what that, it's unbelievable, though. There's rolls, and I'm, I'm getting all this incredible food on my plate. And then I look around, and I realize, oh, they probably haven't put out the mac and cheese. It's probably in the oven or something. So I went to her aunt, whose house it was, and I was like, hey, uh, I think y'all forgot the mac and cheese. 
And her aunt said, oh, I don't think we have any. Now, on the outside, it was like, oh, totally fine. <laughs> yeah, fine, I'll eat the other things that aren't even nearly as good. <laughs> but on the inside, I really considered I might leave. <laughs> like, I love my wife. I love, like, these people and stuff. But this might be a deal breaker. You don't have mac and cheese at Thanksgiving. This caused some family conflict. Now, every year since, there's like three different types of mac and cheese at her family Thanksgiving. I did not make a scene, but somehow people caught word that that was almost a deal breaker. Now there's like three different types, and it's unbelievable. But all of us have experienced conflict before. And in our world right now, there is so much conflict on every issue, in the church, outside of the church, in the home, across the street, in our workplaces, around the world. There's so much polarization, so much conflict. And the question that I want to try to get our minds around this morning is why? Why is there so much conflict in our world, and how do we navigate it? Why is our world so conflicted and broken? Why are things the way that they are? If you have a Bible, let's flip open to James chapter 4. And just a small warning, this passage is a little heavy. And so then I'm going to try to throw some, uh, you know, kind of funny stories in there about mac and cheese and things like that, but like the, the, this is a heavy text, and it's going to feel a little bit heavy as we teach through it, and that's okay. It has to land that way because that's the tone of the text. And so let's uh, just read this together. Here's what James says in chapter 4, verse 1. What causes quarrels and fights among you? So he's asking the question that we're asking. This is the point of the text. Is it not this? that your passions are at war within you. You desire and you do not have, and so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, and so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Strong language here. You adulterous people. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Strong language. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he has made to dwell in us, but he gives more grace? That's good news. Therefore, it says, he opposes the proud and gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy into gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, 
before the Lord, and he will exalt you. And so the question that James is asking is the same question that we're asking. Why is everything so polarized? Why is there conflict in our homes, in our marriages, in our churches, in our small groups, in our lives? And he offers in this passage three reasons. He says, here's the first reason things are the way they are. Here's the second one, and here's the third one. And then he offers three action steps of how transformation is able to take place in order that there can be peace in our homes, in our families, in our world, and in our church. And so what do we do if there is conflict in our community, in our marriage, in our friendships, at our job? And a small point prior to jumping in is that his answer is not horizontal. He isn't saying, hey, if you have conflict in your marriage, y'all need to work it out together. It is not horizontal, it's vertical primarily. His answer of all the conflict in the world is not blaming other people. It is cleaning your side of the street and handling it with him first and foremost, which then handles it horizontally as well. And so here's our question. What causes the polarization we are currently experiencing? And here's our main point. If you drift off and you fall asleep, you're like, dude, this dude is talking too much. This is the whole message right here. Because you can fall asleep after this. No, you can't. Have some more coffee. The problem isn't your friend. It's your flesh. It's not your wife or your husband. It's the world. And it's not the Republicans or the Democrats. It's the devil. The problem in our world isn't other people. It's your own flesh. The problem is not your husband or wife. It's the world. And the problem is not those people, the Republicans or the Democrats. It is the spiritual enemy, the devil. And so, three classic enemies of the soul and then three action steps. Here's the first classic enemy of the soul. It's called the flesh. The flesh. Here's how James opens up his question. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? Your passions, your flesh. And so what is the flesh? Like, what does that word actually mean? I think a great example of this is my little girl, uh, that she loves Starbucks cake pops. Like, this is her favorite treat. Anytime I'm like, hey, if you're good, you can get a treat, that's the thing I'm offering her. It's actually a bribe, but that's okay. And uh, the recently, I think it was about a month ago, that they had these owl cake pops that came out. Now, that's a really good thing in our house because homegirl loves owls. Like, that's her favorite creature in the world is an owl. So uh, we heard about this, and on opening day, her and I are in the Starbucks line, which is a great excuse because I get good coffee as well. It just really works out in our family. Uh, But it was opening day for this, and they were going to have 
owl cake pops at Starbucks. And so um, her and I wait in line, and about 20 minutes later, we're up to the uh, place, and they hand us one, and it has little eyes. It's so cute. Um, it, it's, it's the cutest little thing. I hand it back to her, and I'm like, all right, come on, eat this thing. And uh, that she looks at me and says, friend, this is my friend. And I was like, so you're not going to eat it? Like, you're just going to look at it? And she was like, yeah, I'm just going to look at it. I was like, that's the sweetest thing I've ever seen in my life. A few minutes later, though, like, she's, like, playing with it, talking to it, and then she starts to, like, look at it, and she starts to lick the ear. <laughs> she's like, I, I, I won't eat you. Yeah, I just want to lick you. And then it's, like, just the ears, you know? She just eats the two ears. Eventually, before we know it, she eats the entire cake pop. And her friend is no more. <laughs> this is a great example of the flesh, though. It's like, okay, this is my friend, but then my passions and my desires start just, but, it, but I want. I want this thing. And another great example of the flesh is uh, we had the honor to go to the uh, Steelers game the other night. I mean, did y'all watch that game? Anybody watch the Steelers-Browns game? Come on, it was so much fun watching it. Um, and uh, we were a little bit late, um, and so um, our parking situation wasn't that great. We had to park on the 10th floor of a parking uh, garage thing, which was great. You thought, man, we found a spot. This is unbelievable Oh, it was a close game, and we stayed until the very end, and then we left with all 80,000 other people. And so that we were trapped on the 10th floor of this parking garage for two hours, which was fine. Like We were like, hey, like we don't have to get up early tomorrow. Things are fine. But everybody else in the parking garage was losing their minds. You should have been up there. We were dying laughing in the car because people were jumping out, like screaming at each other, obscenities, like smacking each other's cars, smoking all kinds of drugs up there. there, there it, was, it was flesh gone wild on the top floor of this parking garage. But that's the flesh, right? It's our human response to things. It's like if I'm driving and a person cuts me off and something just rages up inside of me, that's the flesh. But the flesh is the thing that when a pretty girl walks by or a handsome gentleman, you have that response. It's the flesh. The flesh is that thing that causes you uh, to have a sweet new car and then your friend has a newer car and it looks better and you're like, oh, I hate my car. This is the flesh. And James is saying, that the main problem in our world is not the other people, it's our flesh. The flesh has this idea where pleasure is paramount. It promises pleasure, yet it actually brings about slavery. And a classic example of this, right, is addiction. And you have in your mind that, hey, if I can just use this alcohol or drug, everything will be right in my life. I just need the pleasure of that thing. But then when you chase after that fleshly pleasure, it actually enslaves you. 
I love this quote from the Screw Tape Letters by C.S. Lewis. He says this, an ever-increasing craving for an ever-diminishing pleasure is the formula. This is how the flesh works. This is how the enemy works. Increasing craving, but the pleasure is not as much. And it isn't just alcohol and drugs. This is obviously the obvious example of it. It's like, okay, the more I use, the more I need it, except I never get back to that first time of use. The pleasure is less and less. It's exactly the same thing with pornography. It's I use it more and more, and the craving increases more and more, except the pleasure is not as much. It's the exact same thing with having a lot of money. I need more money, more money, more money, except it doesn't satisfy ever-increasing craving, but the pleasure gets less and less. Eating is the same thing. I crave more and more to eat, but it does not do what it used to do. This is the flesh. It's classic enemy of the soul, number one, is the flesh. Here's classic enemy of the soul, number two. It's the world. The world. I want you to have this in your mind real quick, so picture this, that you and your friends are on a raft on a river, and it's just that perfect day. I mean, it's like yesterday in the morning where it's just the perfect weather, like hardly any clouds out, beautiful day. And you have all your closest friends cold drinks, loud music, and everything is just ideal. It's so perfect, and you're just cruising down this river, being carried along. And slowly that you hear a screaming person on the shore, waving their hands as, as huge as they can, and screaming and pointing. And you're like, this is a killjoy. What are you doing? Like, we're vibing out here, and you are screaming at us. Please stop. But slowly that you hear them scream, waterfall, waterfall. And here in this passage, this is kind of what we see here. That in our worlds right now in America, man, it kind of feels like things are going all right. I'm just vibing in life. And then in walks this passage of scripture that James is screaming, if you love the world, you're an enemy of God. His tone feels like it's not right. It feels like, come on, James, chill out a little bit. We're just vibing. Except just like in that example of the river, if there's a person screaming from the shore, acting a little irate in some ways, we should lean into that rather than um, Heismaning them. We should lean in to them. And that's the same thing with this text. We should lean in to what James is saying. Let's look at verses 4 and 5. He says, you adulterous people. Strong language. Do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Yikes. Or do you suppose it is of no purpose that the Scripture says he yearns jealously over the Spirit that he has made to dwell in us? 
Now, what does that word world mean? Because in John 3.16, I preached on this at a prison yesterday. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave. But in this passage, it says, if you love the world, then you're an enemy of God. What do those two words mean? Well, the first one in John 3.16, it means the people of the world. He loves the people of this world so much that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Except here in this passage, he's not referring to the people of the world. It's the value system of the world. And so uh, if you're taking notes, write this down. We are called uh, to love the people of the world, yet not be enticed by the value system of the word. Love the people of the world, yet not be enticed by the value system of the world. We have a heart for wheeling, yet we're not enticed by the value system of wheeling. And so I love the Apostle John. He explains it very clearly. He gives three um, types of the love of this world. He explains it this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He says, for all that is from this world, it is not from the Father, it is from the world. The lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, and the pride of life. And so what are those? Well, first, uh, the lust of the flesh is I want to feel better. I have this emptiness in my soul, and therefore I'm going to chase after anything that will make me feel better. It's alcohol, drugs, it's comfort, it's pornography, it's overeating. This is the lust of the flesh, and it's everywhere in our world. Every commercial is playing into the lust of the flesh. And so the lust of the flesh. The next is the, the, uh, the lust of the eyes. And so this is I want to have more. So I have a nice car, but I need that newer car. I need more money. I need more stuff. I need a bigger house. This is chasing after the things of this world. And then lastly, the pride of life. It's I want to be acknowledged. On Instagram, I want to have a lot of followers. I want you to applaud me. This is the pride of life. I want you to honor me, maybe even worship me. This is the pride of life. And these three things is the air we breathe in our world. Every commercial, lots of TV shows, lots of movies, lots of conversations we have. This is the value system of our world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Here's the thing about these things, is that oftentimes it isn't like, hey, I'm just in love with Jesus. I'm a Christ follower. I'm following him. I'm sold out. And then the very next day, oh, I'm in love with the world. It's a slow fade. It's a slow fade where slowly you make small compromises and eventually your love for Jesus is small and your love of the things of the world is all over the place. 
Slowly, comfort and wealth and prestige draw you in just a little more every single day, and it chokes out the fruit of your life. Classic example of this is a man that works a little too much, and then a little bit more, chasing the money, chasing the platform and the position, and slowly hurts his marriage, strains his relationship with his kids, and the love of the world has choked out the fruit in his life. The language that James uses is one of an affair, though. And this is exactly how affairs happen as well. It isn't overnight, I'm in love with my husband or wife, and then I'm going to cheat on him. It's small compromises over time that causes that. It's, well, you know, like I'm, I'm just working a little bit too much, and I have this friend at work. And then, man, I'm going to text them. I'm having a hard day. I'm just going to confide in them. And then it's a small compromise, a hug that lasts a little bit too long. And then it's hanging out with them alone. And then it gets worse and worse. It is not an overnight thing. It's a slow fade over time. And I believe this is one of the reasons why James uses this terminology. He's explaining to these people, the quarrels that you're having among you is your flesh that is doing it, your passions inside you, except it's also that you're cheating on God with the value system of the world. He's explaining that we are cheating on God, that we try to have Jesus and the things of this world. And here's the thing about God is he doesn't want our leftovers. He wants to be our first love and our only love. The scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit he's put in us. He wants your whole heart. So it's the flesh, the world, and then lastly, it's the spiritual enemy, the devil. The devil. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Well, it's the flesh. It isn't our friend. It's the world. It's not our wife or husband. And it's the devil. There is a real spiritual enemy. And here in James, this is what he brings up next here in verse 7. He says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Oftentimes, if we're honest, man, that when we have an image in our minds of a spiritual enemy, Satan, you know, these types of things, that we have horror movie clips that come into our minds. It's like shrieking, like exorcism, and just ugly people with all, all these scars on them. Like we have this image of the enemy where it's, 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 it's uh, horror movie-like. But oftentimes how the enemy comes is in beauty. He comes as an angel of light. He often comes with a fleeting thought that kind of seems beautiful and freeing in the moment yet it's contrary to the will of God. This is how the enemy comes. I love Jesus' words in John 10.10. 10. He explains the enemy comes to steal, kill, and 
destroy, but I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. All the enemy wants you to do is to believe him. He's going to come with a freeing thought that sounds beautiful. He's going to come with this beautiful thing of, hey, if you just listen to me, you'll have this beautiful life, but it's contrary to the will of God. And once he traps you in it, he'll take everything from you. It's just like addiction. He says, man, this is what you long for. This is what your flesh wants. This will bring you pleasure. And man, early on it is. You're on top of the world. It's like, I feel so good. Life is going so good, except as a lot of us have experience in our friends and family members, it slowly starts to take everything. This is how the enemy works. And it's not just addiction. It's all of the value system of the world. It's just the extreme example is addiction, except it's also the love of money, the love of comfort. As we chase after these things, as we hear his lies and we respond to them, over time, he will take everything from us. I love this quote by Comer. Um, He was a pastor in Portland, and he wrote a book that's really good on the three classic enemies of the soul. And he describes them like this. Deceitful ideas play to our disordered desires and are normalized in a sinful society. How these three things work is that these are lies that the enemy tells that seems beautiful and freeing, and it resonates with our flesh. We're like, yeah, if that was true, that would be amazing, and we give into it. And as we look around at our world, everyone else is doing it too. This is how they work. But here's the thing. The enemy is a liar. He is the father of lies. He's been lying forever. I love this quote by Jackie Hill Perry. She says this, the deception was in believing that the tree was more satisfying to the body and pleasurable to the sight than God. All of the wisdom that she thought the tree could provide left her body the moment she did something foolish, believe the devil. There is a real spiritual enemy, and he's a liar. Except his lies feel good to our flesh, and as we look around at our world, everyone else is listening to him. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. But here's the thing that he's really lying about, is yes, he presents himself as beauty, except our God is way more beautiful than anything he has to offer. Our God is way more satisfying than anything the enemy has to offer. In God's presence, there's the fullness of joy, and at his right hand are pleasures forevermore. God is really beautiful. He's what your soul and mine longs for on the inside. Flesh, the world, and the devil. What's wrong with our world? Well, it's not your friend, it's the flesh. It isn't your husband or wife, it's the world. And it's not the Republicans or the Democrats, it's the devil. 
All right, and so that's what's wrong. James clearly articulates to us, this is what's causing the quarrels and fights among you, except now he goes into our response, the action items for us. Let's read verses 7 through 10 here. He says this, Submit yourselves to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves, therefore, before the Lord, and he will exalt you. Three action steps that I want to throw out to us that James gives us. Uh, The first is repent. Repent. We're in this age right now with Evelyn where every time that she gets in trouble, it's, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. And it's like, you don't even know what you did, girl. I'm like, hey, we need to talk. She's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm like, I was going to give you a treat, and you're saying you're sorry. Why are you sorry? But oftentimes, that's how we are as well with God. It's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'll never do it again. And then the next day, we do it. So Evelyn is too. It's like, hey, girl, you can't do that. You can't hit your sister. You can't throw things. And she's like, I'm sorry, and then goes right back. Throws it. It's like, girl. That's not what we mean in this passage. It isn't what James is saying. He's not saying a flippant I'm sorry makes it right. His language here is like it has to be emotional as well. It isn't just an intellectual, I know I shouldn't do that, so I'm sorry I got caught. It's, hey, God, I want you so much more than anything else in the world that, man, I'm genuinely repentant. I will turn away from that thing. I I am truly sorry, God. If you had had an affair on your spouse, it isn't a flippant I'm sorry that reconciles the relationship. It isn't just I'm really sorry I got caught. It's, it's, hey, hey, I'm truly sorry. This language here he uses about trade in joy for gloom and laughter into mourning is strong language and is very counterintuitive to our culture today. It's all about how can I feel better and be happy, but James says here, no, 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 actually how to repent is it has to be emotional. It has to be, man, I'm mourning because of this. He says, wash your hands and purify your hearts. And so first we have to repent. Two, resist and renounce. Resist and renounce. Uh, that if you were here last week, um, I had this analogy of Krispy Kreme. Who's had Krispy Kreme ever since then? Anybody were like, hey, you use the analogy, I got to go get some, come on. I, mean, I had this analogy of Krispy Kreme that all of our ideas have consequences. And if I had the idea that if I eat Krispy Kreme, I'll become healthy and skinny, that would have consequences. I'd be 800 pounds and I'd, you know, 
It'd be hard uh, to get around. But if I had heard eventually, hey, this is not right, like it isn't healthy to eat Krispy Kreme, and I tried to change, I would have to change my actions. I'd have to be like, all right, I'm not going to Krispy Kreme three times a day anymore. Practical changes would have to be made. And again, if you'd been unfaithful to your spouse, then you'd have to make some practical changes. But it isn't just, I'm sorry, and then I go back to it. It's, hey, I'm going to erase her number out of my phone, erase her on Facebook, block her, whatever practical changes. I'll even change jobs if I need to. Any practical changes you'd have to make, you would do it because you're truly repentant and saying, hey, I resist and I renounce those things. And so here's my question. If this whole talk is for you, what do you need to resist in your life? Is it a friend group? Is it a person? Is it a TV show that you watch? What are the things that you need to resist and renounce? And if I'm honest, man, there's probably some people here who are like, hey, I've done this over and over again. I've had this thing in my life that I'm truly repented of, but then eventually I slip back into it and I go back and I go through this cycle over and over and over again. Here's a few action steps. One is you got to tell somebody today. If you've been trying to do this thing alone, healing won't come. You got to open up to somebody and say, hey, listen, help me with this. I need to make some practical changes. I need to truly repent. Please, will you help me with this? I love the words of Jesus, strong words of Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, where he says that if your hand causes you to sin, you got to cut it off. This is strong language from Jesus. He's explaining that these changes that you have to make in your life may be very hard changes. If it's your smartphone, man, get a flip phone. You know, like retro, just just rock it, man. If it's screens in your house, hey, I'm just not going to have TVs in there anymore. If it's a friend or if you're in a relationship, man, you might have to break it off. And just as I was praying, uh, I really kind of felt like that there's some people here that isn't just the flesh in the world that you feel attacked by, it's really the enemy. That if I'm honest, that you are in a place where you think, hey, I think I'm being attacked by the enemy. And I just want to encourage you with these few words here. Here's what James says. If you resist him, the spiritual enemy, he will flee from you. This is a promise from the God of the universe and saying, hey, if you resist the devil, he will flee from you. And this is an everyday battle, y'all. It isn't just a one-time event of, all right, I prayed with Chris and now I, I got prayer and now I'm free forever. This is an everyday battle. You have to put on the armor of God. You got to sling the sword of the spirit, the word of God. This is an everyday type 
a battle. And then lastly, here's point number three on action steps. We have to return to our first love. Yes, we have to repent. Yes, we have to resist and renounce. But also we have to return to our first love. I love this passage of Scripture. I mean, I quoted it quite a bit yesterday at the prison as I was praying with people. But it says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. This is a beautiful promise from the God of the universe that if you draw near to him, he will respond and draw near to you. I think a healthy example of this is the prodigal son. That he had... uh, left home and said, God, I don't want anything to do with you anymore, Dad. I'm just going to go and live it up. I'm going to go do my own thing. And it's awesome at first, and like life is amazing, and then he has consequences. He's broke. He's in the pig pen. And Scripture says he comes to himself, and he's like, man, i got to go home. This isn't all it's cracked up to be. I want to leave this and go home. And he turns away from his old life. He resists it. He renounces it, except as he comes home, that he's not like, hey, Dad, I know I spent everything, but I need to be let back in the house. I deserve it. You should let me back in. No, he humbles himself. He says, God, I'll, man, I'll do anything if you just let me back home. I just want to be a slave in your house, is what he says. Except how does the father respond to him it isn't by saying hey you clean yourself up you do better and all these things no no no. he was looking for him and as he sees his son coming he runs towards him he gives him a big hug and a kiss and throws him a party and this is God's heart for you and I he's waiting with open arms I love this scripture right here. He says he gives more grace. He gives more grace. I mean, if you're here and you're like, I've used all the grace that he could give, he gives more grace. If you're here and you're like, man, I mean, I, I've messed up too many times. I don't even know why I'm in church. I had to drag myself here. He gives more grace. If you're here and you're like, man, I I don't know why he'd ever love me. He gives more grace. This is the heart of the gospel. This is why we love Jesus. This is that there is a real God who created everything in the world for his glory and your joy. And he made you and I to know him and to be in intimate friendship with him. Except all of us have turned away. All of us, like Adam and Eve, have heard the lies of the enemy and said, that feels good to the flesh. Let's go that way. It's called sin. The problem with that is that it separates us from God and leaves us empty on the inside. And as we've turned away from God, these three realities, the world, the flesh, and the devil, are conspiring against us, pulling us away from God and his beautiful plan for us. Yet, that's not the end of the story. 
If I was God, I would have just kind of been like, all right, we're done with these people. These people are messed up, but praise the Lord, I'm not. He comes towards broken humanity. He came towards your mess. He comes towards us in the person of Jesus. He's a real guy. He really came to earth. He lived a perfect life in our place. He was crucified on a criminal's cross. He rose from the grave conquering sin and Satan and death and everything. He hung out for 40 days. He ascended into heaven. And one day he's going to come back and all things will be made new. This is the gospel. And so his invitation here today, this morning, is come to Jesus. Return to your first love. Anything that you've been holding on to, cheating on God with, lay it down. Repent and return. He's waiting with open arms. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do in people's hearts. That you would convict, Holy Spirit. And in all of our hearts, uh, you'd point out ways that we have uh, turned away from you. Uh, that we've even been cheating on you with other lovers. And God, I pray right now that you would do what only you can do and, and draw people to yourself. With all heads down and all eyes closed, if you're here and you know, hey, I'm not a Christian yet, but I want to give my life to him. I've watched how uh, as I uh, try it my own way, it hasn't worked out very well, but I'm hearing about this God who laid down his life on my behalf, and man, I want to give my life to him. If that's you, then I'm going to lead you in a prayer. It isn't the prayer that saves you. It's a posture of the heart. It's, hey, I want to leave my own life, my old life, and I want to follow you. I'm going to turn from my old life, and I'm going to place my trust in you. If that's you, then just pray this prayer with me in your heart. You don't have to say it out loud. Just, he's listening. He's closer than your closest thoughts. And you can pray something like this in your heart. Heavenly Father, I need you. I've tried it my own way long enough. And I'm ready to follow you. I repent of my sin. And I place my trust and my faith in you, King Jesus. Thanks for joining us on the Vineyard Church podcast today. It's our greatest desire for people to find and follow God, and we hope this podcast is one way that helps you do just that. But don't stop here. We would love to see you face to face. God's people grow most in community, so don't forget you can join us live at the Capitol Theater in downtown Wheeling every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. If you'd like to connect with us in the meantime, make sure to visit our website, vineyardwheeling.com, or download our app. You can catch up on previous messages and series, request prayer, and even download additional content. Thanks again for joining us this week. We'll see you next time.